It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. The Warriors had another off day on Monday, so two in a row, which is nice for the team and different for the podcast because usually I'm getting used to the pattern of game on, game off, and going back and forth. For those of you who didn't listen to it, you can check out the podcast I did on the Blazers game with Eric Garcia Gunderson of Locked On Blazers. It was a fun conversation. Also, I wrote about it for The Athletic. You can check that out there. I wanted to use the second off day to talk about, I was going to do basically listener questions and things like that because I get a lot of stuff through various channels, through Twitter, through Facebook, and through email. And Originally, I was just going to kind of go all over the board, sort of an email bag, different things. But then what I realized was a lot of the questions were about the same general thing. And so instead of being a broader email bag, this is just going to be talking about centers because a lot of the interest and questions and everything else surrounding the Golden State Warriors are around the center position because they have so many other things already handled. So Instead of getting into some of the other questions at other positions, and also because I talked a little bit about the Durant situation, I think it was last week, and there isn't a lot of news on that. I can, I'm can i working on a piece that will kind of crystallize it a little bit clearer, but there isn't a whole lot more to say there. So instead, what I'm going to do is tackle a few different questions that I get a lot on the basic center stuff. And the first place I want to start is something fundamental, which is I get asked a lot why the Warriors need to start a a true center in the first place, why they can't go with Draymond Green at center, considering everyone knows that's their best lineup. And the reason there is fundamental wear and tear on Green, on Durant, without much of an endgame. So regular season games matter. It's not, I'm not saying they don't, but on a relative term basis, they aren't nearly as important as a playoff game because a playoff game it's best of seven each game has a specific value in that way you only get three losses because if you get a fourth then you lose the series whereas in the regular season there are a couple of different reasons why that that's less valuable one is a very basic one which is that there is no concrete amount of wins or losses that makes any sort of difference so if the Warriors win 73 games, if the Warriors win 67, if they win 62, those all matter. Those could affect seeding. They could affect home court in the finals or even before that. But it's not as tangible in that sense. And it doesn't really affect them necessarily in terms of the title other than potential opponents and home court because they still have to play the playoff series. So the Warriors believe that they can win if from the two seed, from the three seed, if they have to. It's not as blatant as Cleveland, who has already done it before, because Atlanta was the one seed the first year the Cavs made the finals with LeBron. So they've already have done it. They don't they don't have that worry. Also, the Cavs have beaten just about every team they're going to face in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I'm not sure they beat Boston. I don't think they, in this current iteration, they've done that, but I don't think they have much doubt that they can. So 
You want to avoid that wear and tear. Draymond has talked before about how it puts more miles on him and how it's more physically demanding. Also, a lot of teams start traditional centers, so you're not you're getting a competitive advantage offensively, but defensively you're guaranteeing that Draymond is going to grind against these guys like Jonas Valanciunas, like Andre Drummond, like Tyson Chandler, a lot of the guys that we're going to discuss on the rest of the podcast as well, without much of a return because those that doesn't help you much in the playoffs, especially if, as is currently projected, the Warriors have a good chance of finishing ahead of basically everybody else. So then you're really not grappling for it. So what those players are in a lot of ways is, is a placeholder in a sense, is they're occupying space that will hopefully eventually be occupied by Draymond Green when the games really count. And when that starts will depend a lot on how comfortable Steve Kerr is with various matchups. So I'm guessing it won't happen in the first round, depending on who falls where, but they won't need it as much. It'll probably be more like now, where the Warriors turn to it at the end of the second quarter if they need it, and then the end of the fourth quarter if they need it again for games like that. And maybe if it gets to a game six or game seven, they'll they'll kick it into gear a little bit more. Right now, it sounds like the second round is going to be competitive. It'll probably be some combination of the Jazz, Grizzlies, and Clippers, because now that Blake Griffin is going to be out for three to six weeks, it's a lot harder for the Clippers to push into the second seed. So if it's if they're probably in the 3-4-5, then that's more likely they're in the 4-5. And so while the Warriors played that great game against the Clippers a few, a few weeks ago, it is important to kind of think about that as, as a part of the idea, but... It looks like they're going to get a competitive series at that point. If it's the Rockets, too, that's the other team. Sorry, I should have mentioned them, too. So it's Clippers, Rockets, Jazz, Grizzlies. Lots of those teams are good. I don't think the Warriors want to face any of them, but they probably will face one of them at some point. And, you know, if the Warriors fall to the second, they could get a, a strong second round of series with somebody else. And that's probably when it'll kick in. The hesitation I have on this, and I've said this on a few podcasts before, both Locked On Warriors and other ones, is that Coach Kerr did not go as heavily to Draymond at center lineups, even after Andrew Bogut got hurt. Some of that was due to circumstance. It was just kind of a strange set of stuff. Game five was also when Draymond was suspended, so they had to throw some different stuff, and then game six got out of hand a little bit quickly, and then game seven, you know, I have my own criticisms of it. If you haven't read it, you can read my, I think it was like 2,500-word rant on The Athletic about the mistakes that Kerr made in terms of using Festus and using Anderson Verichow, but those thoughts are there. You can you can check that out. There's also plenty of dunked on material on that as well. So I'm not completely sure. While I know that Kerr understands that those lineups, particularly this year, are his best five, there is a risk aversion there and everything else like that. So it will be worth watching, but it isn't really worth watching now. However, what is notable and something that can really be seen at this point in the year is how well these players fit in various different roles. So I expect that we'll see more of the four stars playing together, especially if they're playing about 40 minutes per person per game, because you just can't stagger it that much. You're When you raise them from low 30s to high 30s, it narrows those windows. He'll probably do a little bit of the stagger, some, some form of it, you know, how they're going to do the breaks, but it's going to be different than now. So there are two different things that Kerr should be looking for primarily with that. One is which players have the best cohesiveness with those stars in any combination. And so far, JaVale McGee offensively has been the best player with that. Defensively, it's an open question. I'm actually going to talk about that more later. And then also 
who fits best if they want to go to more either backup heavy or backup exclusive lineups. And so there, the center takes on a different role. Ideally, they can be more of a defensive linchpin, but also if they can move the ball, there are lots of different combinations there. Probably Sean Livingston is is important in those lineups. Maybe Iguodala. Maybe they even do some of the stagger, have Kevin Durant. That's more of an open question at this point. David West has played well with Durant. He has a little bit of a lower defensive upside, though he was fantastic in that Minnesota game. So you can watch the Warriors with that as kind of a lens for viewing the big men also as who fits well with the starters, who could potentially be the the big man anchor for second units. And that idea of a bench-heavy unit is also where Kevon Looney probably comes into play. When it gets to crunch time, I sincerely doubt that he will be playing center unless he improves leaps and bounds over the course of this year. Of course, that's possible, but I wouldn't expect it. So that's the way that I'm watching a lot of this because it really is just prologue. It is a waiting period, and so you can evaluate it from that standpoint. The next question I get most often are a couple of trade targets that the Warriors could theoretically go after, and the two are Tyson Chandler of the Suns and Andrew Bogut, former Warrior, now of the Dallas Mavericks. The basic question from most people is, can the Warriors trade for either one of those guys? And as a technical matter, the answer is yes. It basically almost always is yes, because trades are almost always possible. It's not banned by the CBA or anything like that. The problem is about matching salary. So the Warriors are not a luxury tax team, so that actually means they are dealing with looser rules in terms of it, and they're more than $13 million from my numbers below the luxury tax line, so they don't have to worry about adding salary and getting pushed over or anything like that. So what that means is they have a looser set of rules in terms of how much money they have to send out to bring one of those guys back. Tyson Chandler makes about $12.4 million. Bogut makes a little over eleven, and Based on the rules of the CBA, if the Warriors are sending out less than, I think it's a 9.6 million, but it's around 10, they're sending out less than that, they have to basically make 150%. So they can, you take a player's salary, multiply it by one and a half, and if that adds up to Tyson Chandler's salary, adds up to Andrew Bogut's salary, that's enough. It can be one player, it can be two players, it can be more. The problem for the Warriors is their distribution of salary. So, of course, the four stars, Curry, Durant, Clay, and, and Draymond are off the table entirely in this. So those guys are off. What's left are not many good ways to get to about $8.2 million in Chandler's case, a little over $7 million in Bogut's place, because they just don't have that much in salaries. So presumably it would require one of Iguodala or Livingston, certainly an unpopular thing considering they chose to keep both of those players over talented alternatives, and also because they would have to add in somebody else good. Iguodala, it could be straight up, that would also be a terrible trade, but it is theoretically possible. Livingston, it would pretty much have to be Livingston and Pachulia. I believe they could finagle it with a couple of, they have to add a couple of small pieces together, and that's exactly why these trades won't happen. That is too much to give up, And there isn't really a logical way for the Suns to make it work in their own way to to send more back in the Suns or the Mavericks because they don't really have much in the form of sweeteners at this point. You could concoct some weird solutions where maybe, you know, certain players go back from the Mavericks or the Suns, but realistically, it doesn't make much sense. The other reason Chandler is a big problem for the Warriors is because he has future years under contract, and the Kevin Durant situation is as yet unclear, and if they have to use cap space to sign him, 
trading what are functionally expiring salaries for Chandler means that they won't have any cap space that way. It's a loss in flexibility that doesn't make any sense, and he costs a lot of money. Bogut, that issue is not in play, but it's still a, a flaw for a couple reasons. And also, both players are not realistic buyout candidates for very different reasons. Bogut is not realistic, not because he's he there's like it's impossible he gets bought out. I expect that he will be if he's not traded. However, he is not allowed to sign with the Warriors if he is bought out because they traded him during this year. So the only way the Warriors can acquire Andrew Bogut is via trade. I don't see a reasonable trade to do it. it it's, I'm not going to say it's impossible because it's not impossible, but it's unlikely. Tyson Chandler will not get bought out because of the aforementioned years remaining on his contract. The only time you really ever see that is when a player is basically one year away from it and either gives up a portion of what is left on that deal because he really wants to go or something like that. A Tyson Chandler buyout would be basically unprecedented. It wouldn't be completely unprecedented, but it would be really, really, really close. And that is important to know. And so I wouldn't expect either one of those players to be on the Warriors in in this year or really in the near term. The only exception to that would be if Bogut decided to come back for the minimum or some part of an exception next year. I don't see that as particularly likely, but most people are asking about this season and this season, I don't think it's going to happen. Another question that I get a lot for a really good reason is who should start between Zaza Pachulia and JaVale McGee. I would also add in that David West should certainly get a shot at it. He has done well in the job that he has been assigned, and I would just like to know. He probably wouldn't get that spot in, like, let's say a first-round playoff series or something like that. I just want to see how he does. I'm excited for that. And it gets hard because you can't really compare apples to apples for a couple of different reasons. One, the samples are very different because Zaza Pachulia has effectively played all of his minutes as the fifth starter. So whether that comes at the in the first quarter, sometimes in the second or in the third, he plays almost all of his minutes in that way. So that affects you from the eye test. It affects you from a statistical standpoint, basically everything, because who you play around is incredibly important. Pachulia has been probably underrated defensively over the last couple weeks. And offensively, he does certain things well, does certain things poorly. He's terrible at finishing around the basket, which is certainly a problem. But He's a nice passer. He can work on the offensive glass, which is, of course, something JaVale can do as well. So that is that is there. And with JaVale, you have a couple of countervailing things. So one is he's played more with the starters recently because they've changed his role around a little bit. But also, if you wanted to use statistics, it would be prudent to not use anything really from the fourth quarter because one of the other times JaVale has played over the course of this year is in garbage time with some absolutely horrendous units. Sometimes JaVale, McAdoo, and Kevon Looney all playing together, and those provide no statistical value at all. So you can't really parse it. Also, we're dealing with such a small sample anyway. The Warriors haven't even played 30 games yet, and you're cutting that pie a lot smaller because they never play together or anything like that. So I rely more at this point on the eye test, and the problem with JaVale in the starting out games is that, first of all, he's really foul prone, especially against elite players. Got in trouble against Anthony Davis, got into trouble with Carl Anthony Towns, and while both those players are fours, he will deal with them with switches, with everything else at some points. And that's a problem. You know, you're going to, when you play starters, that's going to be something that comes in a lot more. And defensively, his highlights belie just a lack of 
fundamental awareness and just kind of the right level of, of act, act, activity is not the right word for it, but just productive activity. Nate Duncan has noted this a fair amount of times in various forms, including on Dunked On, that JaVale's jump rate to actual block shots is incredibly low or incredibly high. He jumps a lot in ways that don't really impact shots. He's just excited. He has a good energy, which is great. And that works a lot better against backup units or shaky units, things like that. However, McGee's offensive value is substantially higher when he plays with starters or starter heavy units because they know how to use him. So he works a lot better in that way. And the Warriors are incredibly hard to defend because they know how to use the seams that they create to lob to guys. It's something Draymond, Steph have done a long time and Clay Thompson's really developing it. He had three lobs to JaVale a couple games ago, had one against the Blazers. So he's getting into that. He's getting into that mode. It was a big benefit of JaVale starting in Pachulia's absence was getting more chemistry with Clay in particular. So they should probably use a mix of the two. My personal preference would be starting the game with Pachulia at this point, giving him eh, somewhere in the five to six minute range, maybe a little bit less, less when he's not playing well. And then you bring in JaVale when it's mostly starters, maybe around that time, even where Durant comes out and Iguodala comes in. Iguodala is a good passer, of course, so is Durant. And then you give him kind of a way to give the starters a little bit more energy before they get subbed out. And especially now that he's developing a little bit with Clay, use JaVale to bridge that gap. And then if the Warriors want to go small at the beginning of the first quarter, sometimes they do that. You can either pull JaVale at that point, or you can keep him in if he's playing well. That strikes the balance. And then beginning of the second quarter or end of the first, depending, bring in David West. And then in the second quarter, when they bring Curry in or however they want to do it, you either go death lineup or you go whoever is playing best. And that same basic structure can exist in the second half. It's just that a lot of times in the fourth quarter, they don't need those players as much. So that's the general structure that I would use. And then in the playoffs, it's going to get completely different. It isn't really worth going into that right now. I also need to think about it a lot more. So that's something I've been asked. Also, it's been fascinating because early in the season, the Warriors were rebounding better with Pachulia on the floor. Also noting that it's non-representative samples. He almost always plays with Draymond Green. The two of them rebound better together than most of the other combinations. But they still are doing okay. It's, it's not a significant strength. JaVale, the, the on-off numbers, again, because the sample issues get a little bit shaky, a little bit queasy. But generally speaking, the Warriors have been better offensive rebounding with JaVale than with Zaza. And the defensive rebounding numbers are pretty close. So I wouldn't worry about that too much at this point. But that is just something to consider. And there's a lot that we're going to need to learn. Again, I want to see David West in some small samples to see how it works. But that dynamic I said before, start Pachulia, give JaVale minutes, and then after that, just kind of see how it works out. And you can flip-flop it in the in the second, or I mean the third quarter if you want to, second half, if, depending on how things work out. And also, it can be a nice little carrot to motivate each of them that the better they play, the more they play. And you worry a little bit about a shame cycle with whoever gets outplayed getting a little bit sad, but that's why you give them a shot and why nothing is binding. This isn't a circumstance like Ian Clark and 
Patrick McCaw, where you're really fighting over one spot and it's a little bit harder to make it work with both of them. Clark has outplayed McCaw. With the centers, you kind of want to give both of them enough minutes. You want to give David West enough minutes. So you never want to really beat one of them down too much. And they're vets. They don't need that kind of motivation like, oh, I'm losing my spot to JaVale. So that's not something that I worry about as much. And then the last question that I wanted to get into a little bit is I've talked before about buyouts, about how all that kind of fits together. And so I talked about the first the kind of the two, one, two, and four groups for buyouts. Guys, there's a reasonable chance, not now, but if they get moved and then flyers. And something a couple people noticed and said to me was, wow, there weren't any centers in that. Jordan Hill's the closest thing to a center. And part of my point is, yes, exactly. Like teams don't usually buy out those type of guys. But then the other thing is that there are a fair amount of them in my group three, which is the one that I said was too big. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I am going to go through the centers that are in the unlikely but possible group. And the most important note that I have to make at the beginning of this is that the reason players in this group would get bought out overwhelmingly is because they aren't as good as we think they are right now. So it could be due to injuries. It could be due to ineffectiveness. It is also possible that they leave enough money on the table to make it possible to make it reasonable for their current team, especially if that team disappoints. But more likely than not, it's a combination of both things because a good center you'd want to resign, you'd want to maintain that chat. So if you maintain that shot, it's definitely an advantage. So Again, these are players I think it's unlikely, a bold underline, all that kind of stuff. But I want to mention them anyway, and I'm only talking about the true centers. We'll go through everybody else at a later date. So the first guy, and arguably the most interesting, but that's exactly why he won't happen, probably, is Tiago Splitter. Tiago Splitter is a great talent when he can stay on the floor, and since he got traded to the Hawks to clear space for Marcus Aldridge, he hasn't been able to stay on the floor. Atlanta is probably going to make the playoffs unless they fall off, or at least they have a good shot at it. And they probably aren't going to know by the March 1st cut deadline whether they're in or whether they're out. So the reason they would be cutting him is probably because he they're just they just don't feel comfortable that he's going to be a reliable part of their playoff rotation. If the Hawks feel that way and they don't have the same need as the Warriors, but they have a significant one. They're playing a lot of Muscala and other kind of flawed guys there, some misfit toys. If they feel that Splitter isn't there, they can do it. The other difference, why it is more possible with him, is that he has a lot, he's getting paid a lot of money. I think his salary is around $8 million this year. It might be significantly off of that. I'm doing it off the top of my head. So if he left a lot on the table, maybe it becomes a little bit more possible. I still doubt it. Number two is Kavin Serafin. French big man, played on the Wizards for a while, was on the Knicks last year. Not a perfect fit for what the Warriors want. He's a flawed guy, but still better than Anderson Verjao, better than James Michael McAdoo. He plays on the Pacers this year. He's on a one-year deal, which is kind of classic in terms of a buyout guy because that means they don't really have much of an ability to retain him because non-bird rights don't mean a whole heck of a lot for a guy on a low salary. So if the Pacers fall off or if he falls out of the rotation because they already have Miles Turner and Al Jefferson, maybe he requests it, maybe they grant it. Again, same reason if they cut him, probably because they don't think he's good enough and that leads to it. Probably the most interesting, and not somebody who's ever been talked about with this because it's such a strange idea, is Willie Reed of the Miami Heat. So Willie Reed was a later discovery from the Nets had him last year. Big fan of Ken Pelton really likes him. He signed with Miami this year after the market dried up, one year minimum deal with a player option for the second year. So presumably with them, what he'd be doing is saying, hey, I'll decline my player option so you have no options there. Maybe he'd 
you know, he would say leaving it, leaving the money on the table, whatever. The reason that would happen is why he actually makes some sense for the Warriors is because it looks like the Heat aren't going to make the playoffs. So he doesn't get to end the season generating that kind of buzz. And when he already had a, you know, a solid enough year and got a minimum contract, it could be worthwhile for him to try to make the most out of that opportunity. Talented guy, not the greatest player in the world. There is a reason why he kind of floated around on the wire a little while. But again, better than the Warriors, some of the Warriors options there and would have plenty to play for because he's looking for his first significant NBA contract. The other guy who makes the list as a center and is probably off the board now is Festus Azili. I have compiled this before the reports that he's going to miss a while with potentially a knee surgery. It hasn't been decided yet. But again, if the Blazers cut him, it's going to be because they don't think he can contribute. Blazers, another likely playoff team. And Zeely has a partial guarantee. He has a million guaranteed by my notes for next year. But I don't know exactly how that would work out. Unlike Andrew Bogut, Azili actually could sign with the Warriors legally if he gets cut because he was not traded by them. It, the the Zajunas Sogaskis thing does not apply to Fesazili. He left the Warriors as a free agent. So theoretically, if by fate of fates, he got cut because they wanted to add somebody else on their roster, and then he was like, hey, look, I can be healthy, he would theoretically be eligible because he presumably in that circumstance would get cut before March 1st. So outside, outside, outside shot, but you know, it's worth that. There, of course, will be another group of players that might sit there and go, oh my God, look at the Warriors or the Cavs or a couple other teams and say, hey, they really need another center, especially as we see teams fall off over the course of the year. That will open up more opportunities. So we will see how that goes moving forward. And if you want to see a team that has really good center play overall, watch the Jazz tomorrow night. One of the games I'm looking forward to most during this time of the year. Very excited for it. Big game at Oracle. So we'll of course have a podcast on that tomorrow and probably going to have a guest depending on when I get everything recorded. So keep an eye on that. As always, feedback, good, bad, and different. You can send it to me, NBA at gmail.com, at DanielLaRue on Twitter. And your feedback is very much appreciated. Some of the ideas from this podcast are from those emails particularly. And I really do appreciate that. And constructive stuff is fine too. If it's just you telling me I'm bad, that's not great. But you know, whatever. I don't really care. It rolls off me. But that is the show for today. You can also, as always, check out Locked on Fantasy Basketball, Locked on NBA, or the the NFL podcast, Niners, Raiders, whoever else. So you can check that out or the other Locked on Basketball podcasts if you are so inclined. A lot of them do excellent, excellent work. So you can check that out as well. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked on Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider.
This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.